So already Jesus has spent much time preaching and healing across the region of Galilee, and we'd think by now the first story we get of him sitting down at table would uh, be a little bit more conventional than this, something like Jesus gets a formal invitation to the nice middle-class family whose daughter he just healed, gets an engraved invitation. You're invited to dine with the Johnsons this Saturday night, 6 p.m., casual attire, or an invitation to lunch with the mayor of Capernaum and his dignitaries at like a nice small plates tapas restaurant, or uh, maybe he gets a call from Simon Peter's mother-in-law, young man, I hope you know how much it meant to me you came by and healed me in my fever. I hope you'll join us for Sunday lunch. But no, the first time on record in Mark of Jesus sitting down at a table with others It's a scandal. Jesus and his freshman disciples are reclining at the table of brotherhood with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus, of all the company you could have kept, you chose the house of Levi, tax collector, professional extortionist, traitor to his own people. Well, I never. If we've heard enough good sermons... We should be familiar with the simple fact that Jesus makes a maddening habit of crossing social, economic, and religious boundaries. We should be familiar with the fact that this drives the religious elites uh, nuts. Unfortunately, our familiarity with Jesus' tendency to side with sinners has a uh, moderating of the shock effect on Mark's story. But let's say, for example, that you're part of a religious supper club. Your supper club is composed of upstanding citizens, people who occupy the the, uh, respectable positions in your community, doctors, lawyers, teachers, elected officials, public servants, business owners, pastors. Uh, But your supper club is distinct for its strict observance of the faith. Each member of the supper club has near-perfect attendance of church. You study scripture each day. It goes without saying that you keep the commandments, you tithe, you wait faithfully and patiently for the Messiah to come. And while you're waiting, you're participating in building up your community. In fact, if it weren't for the network of supper clubs who regularly practice these habits, you're pretty sure your wider community would begin to unravel, disintegrate. You see, your network of supper clubs uh, is one of the strong threads that prevents society from unraveling into disorder and chaos. Your supper club is part of a tradition that keeps the faith alive, keeps the Sabbath holy, keeps the Christ in Christmas, and keeps those blessed bumper stickers printing. But when Messiah does return, with whom does he dine? Even though we've prepared the fatted calf and vacuumed and dusted and set out the fine china, Messiah skips our house and dines instead with the guy who's been in the news all year for extortion and embezzlement. That's Levi, tax collector toady of the empire. Traitor. We don't like him. And now, as infuriating as it is to admit, 
He's host to the Son of God. In addition to Levi and his cronies, there are also sinners crowding the table. Who are these sinners? These are essentially the people who don't go to supper club. They're the ones whose daily lives the supper clubs exist to distinguish themselves from. Mark even uses a special word for these people, aklos. The closest translating uh, translation is probably the people of the land or commoners, but Mark's the only person in the New Testament that uses this word. More importantly, they're the people who have not been invited to supper club. Only Jesus says to them, you belong at the table. And what's more, this will be the table where the real discipleship happens. And so, when the supper club committee sees Jesus dining with all the wrong kinds of people, they saddle up to his disciples and they ask, why does he eat? with tax collectors and sinners. Now we can imagine them asking the question in different tones of voice and with different attitudes. It could be at the supper club, officials are genuinely uh, enraged. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Or it could be a sincere question. Why? Why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Is there something about the kingdom of God that uh, that we've been missing? Perhaps we have something to learn. Supper club members aren't bad people. They're community people too. What's more, they've read enough scripture to know that God is a God who has surprises in store for everyone. They know that the question who belongs at the table is an explosive one because they already know the table is a site of ministry. Any table. It holds sacred power, the table. Potential for God to show up at any moment. They know tables have a way, too, of telling our stories. They reveal our eating habits, our tastes in food. They reveal our social habits our tastes in people. Our tables disclose our economies, our economics, and our politics. Tables have the power to lay bare our attitudes and our desires. When we can understand a lot about someone's household, we can do so by looking at their table. Is there a dining room just for the table? Is the table decorated with a centerpiece or candles? Is the table bare? Is the table covered with a cloth, or is it stacked with piles of mail? Is it square or rectangular? If so, who sits at the head? Or is it the table is round? Is it a table for two or for one, or for ten or twelve? Is there a breakfast nook where most meals really happen? Or do most meals happen on the coffee table or the TV tray? Is there a table at all? The Methodist pastor, uh, Cynthia Weems, tells a story of some years ago when she was in her first pastoral appointment. She met an, uh, an 11-year-old kid named Victor at youth court. 
Now, she was there to be a translator. A friend had asked her to come and translate for Victor's father, who could only speak Spanish, and uh, because Victor was about to be tried for shooting another child in the leg with a BB gun. The jury had deliberated, and uh, Victor was given the maximum punishment of 25 hours of community service. And as Weems explained the verdict to Victor's father, she realized the family only lived blocks away from the church. So she invited Victor to begin his community service at the church the next day. I love that. Uh, I love how the the punishment for crime is working at a church. (laughs) And so she... uh, Invited him, he comes the next day. She gives him the task of cleaning up the unused youth room on their third floor. The room was a mess, it was hot, it was dusty, it was forlorn. And uh, Victor set about working on it. He cleaned it up, spick and span, even polished a, a dusty old cross and a dusty old table and set an altar in the window for all the neighbors to see. Then Victor started inviting his friends, Javier and uh, Fernando and Pedro. They all came and they started leading a summer vacation Bible school. Other kids in the neighborhood saw the table with the cross on it and uh, began to think, hey, wait a minute, Uh, I've always been on the outside of this place. Now I can be on the inside? And so they began to come too. And they began to see a place shut off from them as theirs. Even Pedro eventually asked, Hey, Pastor, you know those community service hours Victor got? How can I get some of those? I was at lunch at the crossroads a couple months ago. Uh, the room had been cleared out for a little, uh, a little Bible study I was about to give, but I wasn't in that room yet. I was sitting in the gym at a table with James. Uh, struck up a conversation with James. And uh, James looked at me and he said, You know, I got to tell you, you, you people do it right here. I love it here. I love coming here. The food's good, and the people are nice, and they're funny. And I feel like when I come and I sit at one of these tables, I'm right where I belong. I believe so much of the good news in Mark's story lies in the fact that if there's a table in your house or mine or ours, Jesus could show up at any minute. It doesn't matter if you're in the supper club or not. It doesn't matter if you're in or you're out. It doesn't matter if you're part of the social scene where you live or you spend the majority of your meals alone. It doesn't matter if you have a degree or not. It doesn't matter if you're well-versed in the scriptures or if this faith thing still just isn't clicking for you. It doesn't matter if you've sinned and thought word, deed, by what you've done or what you've left undone. Jesus saves a place at the table for you. 
I grew up in the church. I always thought that any uh, communion table was open to me until uh, I found out at this particular church uh, it might not be. Now, uh, this doesn't matter that it's a Catholic church, but in this case, this was a Catholic church, and I had been told on the way in that this particular Catholic church did not allow people who were not communicants of that church to take communion. And so, common practice, depends on the church, uh, so I went in prepared to not be served communion. It's a new experience for me, an insider. So I'm sitting there, it comes time to break the bread and come forth for communion, and I'm in a big circle uh, in the chancel of this huge church, beautiful church. And awkwardly, I remained seated as everyone else around me stood up. And they got to, to get in single file and, and move toward the priest. And they went one by one, and all of a sudden, I caught eyes with the priest. And he looked at me like I was nuts. He said, come up here. And so I stood and joyously I joined the line. How dare that priest invite me, an outsider, a sinner, a Baptist. <laughs> I jumped out of my chair, went straight to the table, relished the meal, and thanks to that priest. Thanks be to God for that priest. I was right where I belonged. 